From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. The first part of this episode is going to be uh, taken from the end of the Hot Takes episode that I was recording immediately after the Orange Bowl. Uh, and it became pretty clear as I was going on this long rant in response to a very good question that had come in during the game that... Uh, this was going to extend the hot takes episode further than it should be. Uh, so I went ahead and cut this from that episode and then uh, decided to release it as uh, the first part of the next episode. Thought it warranted its own discussion. So that's why it's going to sound like uh, I'm on my road road mic setup because I am there. And then I'll come in for the second half where we'll talk a little bit about the transfer portal and a few other things. A couple more questions that did come in during the game. Uh, and I think this is a biggie. So we may well wrap on this one, but. Uh, I got this question. This is from Zach. Are you worried about the state of the locker room after the snub and then this, or is it a byproduct of the snub and then you just move on? Um, I think that's a great question. And I'll say this. If you looked at Mike Norvell tonight or today when he walked out on the sideline, he did not look the way that he's looked all season. I've never seen Mike Norvell look like that. Just in terms of expression, Norvell looked exhausted. He looked, so he looked tired, he looked hurt, and he looked like he was just seething with rage. And honestly, I would feel that way too. I mean, if, if given the month that he's gone through, it's amazing that that guy, I mean, he, look, he's paid a lot of money for it, but... I mean, I can see that guy just being like, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere. I, I just need a change of scenery or whatever. Because what just happened, that was, a, that was a dagger shot. That was a shiv in the back. And for that to happen, I mean, that's a guy who has been, like his whole thing is this unmitigated energy and positivity and belief, inner belief. And that was just shaken to the core by, in terms of what he preaches, by the way that the that that this all went down a month ago. And then you saw him on the sideline, and you you could see him trying to get that energy up and trying to coach the same way. And that guy coached so hard tonight. You could see everything on the sidelines is still working the same way. He's still doing it, but you could still you could kind of see when he was looking up. You could kind of see him with that like we shouldn't even be here. And I'll be honest, uh, I do have some concerns about the state of the locker room, about the state of the, the, the team in those respects, because after what happened, this is going to be an extremely difficult offseason for Mike Norvell and for the Florida State coaching staff and the program as a whole. I mean, this is, this is an unprecedented thing that they're having to deal with. 
but he, you're talking about a guy that has preached the climb, the constant pursuit of getting better day by day and focusing on the process of doing your job at the, at the absolute best level you can. How you do one thing is how you do everything. All of that, focus on all of that, and then the good stuff is going to come with it. You're going to get the wins. The wins will pile up. Eventually, you're going to get the chance to play for titles, but don't focus on that stuff because it's all about coming to work every day, being grateful for the chance to, to actually work and show that you belong, and then from there, you're going to get what you deserve. So put your, So make it so you deserve it, and then you'll get it. And Norvell got an entire program down the entire roster to buy into that and to come to work day in, day out and put in that kind of effort. And you saw the results. You saw a team that was resilient, a team that, you know, he preached response. All you can do is respond and, you know, respond to whatever, whatever life brings you. And you, you know, keep rolling with that. And ultimately it's going to come out in your favor. Well, and he got all those guys to buy into that. And now he's got to go to a locker room of a bunch of guys, the guys who are, who, who are coming back, to all those guys and go, yeah, I know it didn't work that way last year. I know it didn't work. But if we just keep doing it that way, it will. Like this time it'll work. This time you'll get what you deserve. This time the results will speak for themselves. That's a really, really tough spot to be in. And honestly, he's a guy who, you know, sort of like Dabo Sweeney in this respect. I mean, very different in a lot of ways. But in this respect, the, 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 the level of positivity, of unmitigated self-belief that you have to have to be that kind of coach is off the charts. And all of a sudden, you know, he's got to figure out like whether he believes it still. I think that when he talks about the last month is the hardest, hardest of his coaching career, I think that's what really this is about is all of a sudden you find yourself, it's like a death. You find yourself like going through the motions and like, and you know, I don't want to trivialize this because, you know, trivialize actual death because, you know, the. We, those of us who've experienced real loss and probably all of us who are in the listening audience at some point or another, one of the things that's most difficult about losing a loved one, about death, is that you wake up the next morning. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, you, you go to work. And then a month later, you're still doing the stuff that you were doing before. And it all feels so wrong because like, no, like the world ended back there when my loved one died and when this happened. But the world just keeps going on. And that's, that might be the hardest thing about death is that you actually have to go on. Like you have to keep going on living even though a piece of you died when that other person died. And again, I don't want to trivialize the reality of like real death. But for this Florida State team and for Mike Norvell, what happened with the snub, with the travesty, was like a death. 
and I can just see Mike and the whole the whole team kind of going through bowl prep and get, getting into you know finishing out the year and like no like that couldn't have happened like no like we're gonna wake up and it's gonna be like we're gonna be in the playoff and then you go back you go to practice and you're like snap out of it like I gotta get I got like gotta keep practicing keep going to work even though what you were working for was just taken away was just stripped away and the, the hard part about that is now you've got to go back and figure out how to move on and how to attack the next season as though that never happened and to bring the same infectious energy and commitment and buy-in to every day and to every rep, to every film session, to all of that, convinced, utterly convinced and utterly bought into the idea that if you do that, ultimately the results will will take care of themselves. Because that's the only way to play and that's the only way to coach well. And the hard part for Norvell is he's now got to sell that message again to a bunch of guys who just had a committee tell them that it's not really true. That's hard. So yeah, I do have some concerns. I have some real concerns about the, about where the the locker room is going to be, about how hard it's going to be for Mike Norvell and the coaching staff to continue to get the same level of buy-in that they've gotten in previous years. Now, if I'm Mike Norvell, how would I do it? Honestly, if I'm Mike Norvell, this next season, especially in the, in the, in the offseason, I actually, you know, I, I'm going to stay committed to my message about the climb and about the process and you know how it's all about me and all about getting better every day. Yes, I'm going to keep keep doing that. But I might just sprinkle in just a little dose of I'm going to embrace the role of the villain, baby. You know what? We're going to go on a scorched earth tour and let's show the world this next year. They can't take anything away from us this year. Let's go and let's take care of business. And for our, for the guys that were, are no longer on our team, for this program, let's take care of business. And that's where you can point to this result and say, that's how far we have to go with the guys that are on this roster. And that's what everybody thinks about us right now. That's the last taste in our mouth. Now it's time to go and prove to everybody what we really are. And I'm going to start to embrace the underdog and the villain role of nobody believes in us at Florida State, but we believe in us. That's what I'm doing. The college football playoff committee, I'm putting you know ESPN uh, sound bites up, and I'm saying these people don't believe in us. They don't believe in who we are, what we are, what the way we do things. It's time for us to, this year, it's time for us to go and demonstrate it again to where they can't take it away from us. That's how I'm doing it. That's what I'm doing. And in the process, I'm trying to get guys bought in again to the day in, day out, one rep at a time, get better myself. The only way I can show them what we really are is to embrace who we are. 
and to embrace that aspect of the climb of it's not about them. It's not, it's not about the results. It's about me. But you know what? Those results are going to come and they're going to have to acknowledge how much about what I've become. I'm pushing into that and I'm pushing that button hard. But this is going to be a really tough offseason. Because you're going to have a bunch of guys that, like I said, that feeling is not going to go away. You're going to carry that with you the rest of your life. And, you know, you're going to, he, there's a lot of morale, morale challenges that they've got to deal with. And then you take that morale issue and you inject a whole new group of transfer portal guys that are coming in to try to join that. You got to make sure that those guys are going to fall in line with that, with that culture. That's a challenge, man. The challenge of moving from this team, this year's team, they pushed all the chips to the middle of the table to retain guys that had been built in and developed and had fully bought into the program the last two, three years. And then they added a couple of key pieces to it, like a Keon Coleman and a, and a Braden Fisk. This next year is different because you don't have a bunch of the retained guys in the same way. You don't have a Jordan Travis. You don't have a Johnny Wilson coming back. You don't, you know, you've got some guys, you know, you've got some pieces that are, you know, in their third or fourth year in the program that are really good players. But it's not quite the same that where you've been building toward this year for several years. In this year, you're going to have to bring in a few immediate contributors that are not guys that have been, you know, two, three year guys in your program. And there's just, there's more transition there. The good thing is you got a bunch of seniors on your offensive line. And you got some, you got some, some depth of talent there that you've been able to, to build out a little bit to develop. And if you've got seniors that work hard on your offensive line, that can go a long way. But they're going to have to find new leaders. They're going to find, have to find leadership that, you know, can replace a Bethune and a Deloach and, you know, some of those guys to set that table, to set the, the tempo for that team to buy into that little thing that you got to do to be successful. And that's shut out the noise. I'm giving 100% to this rep right now. I don't care about, I'm doing it all for the result in six months, but I'm not focusing on six months from now. I'm focusing on the now. And that's the only way I get better for six months from now. That's the hard thing. And doing that with the turnover that they're going to have, with bringing in some of the some of the personnel that they've got, and they're going to have to again get some guys that can come in and replace some of the talent that they're leaving, some of the top shelf guys, and they've also got to find ways of getting some guys that are going to be there for two or three years because they've got to replenish the the line of scrimmage and, and the linebacker room as well. There's a lot of challenges ahead for for Norvell and, and for the uh, for the Florida State team. Of course, one possibility is that they could wind up just all getting that much closer. And, you know, he's circling the wagons. And all of a sudden, next year's team is that much more invested in, in who they are. Other thing that is going to be difficult about that is it's difficult to do that with a, with a you know, one-year quarterback. You know, this year, you had Jordan Travis as a multi-year starter. That sets the tone for your, for your culture. So... Whatever they, whoever they wind up with at the quarterback position is going to have to find a way to replace that, and I'm not sure it is.
I'm not sure it's replaceable. But again, there's a lot to, to look at, a lot to deal with over the course of the next few next few months, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Norvell and that coaching staff handle it. And here we are less than a week later, and the quarterback situation has actually been addressed, uh, of course, uh, with Cam Ward deciding to go to the NFL, and so Florida State uh, moving to DJ Uyunglele as the uh, transfer quarterback that they're going to take in the portal, already on his way to Tallahassee in, and uh, ready to ready to go and, and be the plug-and-play one-year starter that they, that they really needed on this roster. So one good thing about that, uh, and, and actually I think I'll just do a little bit of a segment here on my initial thoughts on that, because I spent a decent amount of time looking at Ward and DJ uh, in terms of what they – would potentially bring to the table as transfer options. And, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that while I would prefer, I would have preferred Ward in terms of the, the total package that he brought to the table because he was a, he's a more accurate down, down in, down out. He's a more accurate thrower with Ward. You'd be looking, you'd be getting a guy who was at a, what? 90.3% accuracy rate on the season last year. So accuracy rate is basically pulling away, you know, discounting spikes, throwaways, that sort of thing. How many times did the quarterback put the ball properly on target when throwing the football wards numbers there, 90.3% that that was top 10 in the country this year. Uh, and he was a very consistent thrower in terms of just being able to drop back, get the ball in his hands, get it out quickly and get it onto the frame of a receiver with putting him in position to run that sort of thing. You could basically run a run and shoot air raid type thing really comfortably with him. And the offense in that respect would be less limited. You could kind of be unlimited with the approach there. Now you were also going to get some turnovers. Uh, he fumbled it 14 times last year. Uh, he did have more turnover worthy throws uh, when you're looking at uh, the the pro football focus numbers there. He was at over three percent in terms of turnover worthy throws. You you want that below that, uh, but you know you were going to get basically a guy who gave you more chances to score more points because of his ability to spread the ball around the field reliably and consistently put the ball on target from a variety of of body positions, off platform, etc. That's what you're getting with him, and that I mean that's potentially elite. And and he's a guy that is going to be in contention to go, you know, probably no later than second round in the NFL draft. So you, you add a first or second rounder and you feel pretty good about that. Uh, at least that, that would be my, my draft grade on him uh, looking at him going into the NFL. Now, now that I've had a chance to break him down, I'd say he's probably somebody who's a viable late first round type guy. Uh, I, I think he's a, he's a really good uh, prospect at, as a, quality backup, if not better, at the NFL level. Now, you compare that with DJ, and DJ was not one of the more accurate throwers in the country last year. I mean, his accuracy rate of 81% was worse than a hundredth in the country last year. Uh, so, you know, he and, and that's the thing. When when you've watched DJ over the last couple of years, that's what you see, is you, you see a guy that, you know, two out of every 10 passes you're going to see something that's just off frame. That's going to, you know, he's going to skip balls periodically. He's going to sail a ball once in a while. There's just those loose throws that he has that really you just never saw from, from Ward. Ward didn't have loose throws pretty much ever 
You know, the, the, why you, you think about DJ, DJ is the hard throwing pitcher who can throw 97 might even tip one Oh one once in a while, but you're also going to get a wild throw wild pitch once in a while. And you know, that's kind of what you get with DJ. Now, the interesting thing is DJ had a better, or I should say lower, uh, turnover worthy play rate, which usually for a guy that's going to have periodic bouts of inaccuracy, you, you, you kind of expect that to be otherwise. But what that tells you is that DJ is uh, he's more careful in terms of putting putting the ball in danger. And the other thing is, you know, you go back and you look at what Oregon State did with him this last year. He was they, they protected him really well with what they with what they did. So DJ somebody you have to plan a little bit more in terms of game planning to his strengths and making sure that he that you maximize what he's what he brings to the table and you don't ask him to do things that that he doesn't do as well. So you 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 game plan around him a, a bit more than uh than than you do somebody like Ward who Ward you can kind of game plan however you want, I think. But DJ's a little bit more like Jordan Travis in that respect, where it's not as unlimited uh, in terms of, of that. But you also have a guy who has run the football really well and has been a weapon with his ability to run, especially between the tackles, as a 6'4", 250-pound battering ram that gives you a lot, especially in short yardage type situations. I mean, he's a guy you can run inverted veer with, have your speed back taking the edge or run, you know, bash type concepts and have your speed back working to the edge while your your quarterback, your 250 pound quarterback basically plays the role of a, of a fullback. And he's so well built and so, so strong, so big that you don't expect him to to get the kind of wear and tear and get as banged up as as a smaller guy who's going to be taking the same kind of kind of hits. He still has to protect himself, of course, but you know, you feel pretty good about that. The other thing, uh, th- there are a couple other things that, that really stood out to me about, about DJ when I was, when I was going through is you look at the turnover worthy plays. I mentioned he had fewer than, than Ward on in general. He actually was pretty close to Jordan Travis in terms of turnover worthy plays, uh, looking at 2.6% turnover-worthy pr- plays uh, based on Pro Football Focus's grading. And again, a turnover-worthy play is a play that essentially puts the ball in danger. It's a ball that probably should be intercepted, but might not be. A ball that you know goes into the hands of a defender uh, and gets dropped. Or a ball that goes into the hands of a, of a defender and gets caught. In you know traditional statistics, one's an interception, one's not, and you know, you you get a quarterback that might have 30 interceptions on 30 turnover worthy plays but another quarterback has 10 interceptions on 60 turnover worthy plays the guy who had 30 interceptions is just unlucky whereas the guy who had 60 turnover worthy plays is just a bad quarterback well this is where that that number is is helpful ward was at 3.4% turnover worthy play which is not not terrible a little higher than what you'd like dj at 2.6 is very respectable uh, Jordan Travis was 2.1 to me, the, the kind of threshold you want to be at is about 2%. If you can be at a 2% two, uh, turnover worthy play area, that's, that's outstanding. I mean, you look at a couple others from last year, Drake may was 1.9% turnover worthy plays. Uh, Jaden Daniels was 1.6%. So to me, if you're in that range, I mean, under three is good. 
under two is elite. You get in the you know two and two and a half and below area, and you're very very good. And DJ has over the three years of him playing as a starter, he was two point five and two point six at Clemson and two point six at, at Oregon State. So it's not just a matter of Oregon State having protected him in terms of not making uh, bad decisions. This is a guy who just doesn't make a bunch of bad decisions, and and the kind of bad decisions that he's made at different points is you know there have been times where. He'll read something and he'll miss an underneath uh, coverage guy that is sort of hiding on him or or a dropper from a from his own blitz, that sort of thing. And that's going to happen to quarterbacks anyway. But generally speaking, he actually seems to understand coverages, seems to understand what he's looking at pretty well and gets the ball out. And and uh, you look at his time to uh, to delivery, how quickly he gets the ball out and how quickly he got the ball out at Clemson. And you feel pretty good about that. So uh, and and then the other thing that that you like about him is whereas Ward was more accurate on a play by play basis, a throw by throw basis, if if you want a guy, if you want the guy to make big time throws, you're talking about downfield throws, fitting it into a tight window and just putting it on a guy, just making the elite throw. DJ actually was a higher big time throw rate. Than both Jordan Travis and Cam Ward last year. Jordan Travis last year was a 5.2% big time throw rate. Cam Ward, a 4.6% big time throw rate. And DJ at a 6.8% big time throw rate. Now, one of the reasons that that number varies is because Ward was asked to make a lot of throws that were not possible to be big time throws. He, he threw it over 500 times last year. So just by virtue of the number of throws that he made, he was going to make fewer big time, uh, a lower percentage of big time throws. So 24 big time throws in what, uh, 567 dropbacks, 486 attempts. You know, that's, that's why that number is a little bit lower in terms of the percentage uh, compared to 22 big time throws in 314 attempts. That's, that's outstanding. I mean, you compare that to Jordan Travis and you got 18 big time throws in 325 attempts. So this is a guy you look at at the tape and you see a guy that's able to throw the vertical routes really well. He's a he's an outstanding thrower of uh, seams, of dig routes, post routes, skinnies, glance routes, uh, and then just go routes. And one of the things that I think will be improved with DJ at quarterback compared to what Florida state has had since Mike Norvell has been at Florida state is Norvell. When he was at Memphis, their big thing was they were going to throw about 94% of their verticals were expected to throw that. And that was their number. Don't, don't get on me for that being uh, for that being overly specific, but uh, they expected about 47 out of every 50 uh, vertical route on the outside, about 47 out of every 50 of those to go back shoulder. And that hasn't been the case at Florida State, partly because they just haven't had quarterbacks that were comfortable with that throw or as comfortable with that throw. You saw it more the last couple years, or, or you saw it more, especially this year with Jordan Travis as a bailout throw in certain cases, as a, you know, okay, well, third and 16, you know, go ahead and take the back shoulder. DJ throws that ball really well, uh, or at least 
he threw it well at Clemson, and you see it some at Oregon State. You said it, saw it less at Oregon State this year because they didn't have the guys offensively out wide to take advantage of it. But you know, Florida State. I mean, that's a that's something that they rep a ton. In the back shoulder, something you have to rep a lot. I mean, when I coached quarterbacks, when I coached wide receivers, one of the things that I I actually had a back shoulder period every day because that's something you have to get used to doing. Uh, you could see that Texas, for example, didn't do it enough this year because if they'd done it correctly, then on that last play against Washington, that ball should have been thrown low and uh, about waist high, front pylon, and that's an automatic touchdown on the last play because of the way that, that uh, Washington played that over the top. That should have been an automatic touchdown, just an, a sight adjust by both the quarterback and the receiver. You put that front pylon, receiver just turns around, catches it just outside his frame, easy pitch and catch. But they don't do that. Mike Norvell and the way that they, that they practice that, they practice that a ton. And uh, that's something that they've, that's been a point of emphasis going all the way back through Memphis, you know, all the way in his in his coaching career, he's a former wide receiver. Wide receivers know that that is an undefendable play if you if you execute it well, if you throw it well. And DJ throws that ball pretty well on the on the uh, on the back shoulder. So I expect that we'll actually see maybe more true back shoulder throws than what we've seen percentage wise since Norvell's been at Florida State. You know, getting back to a little bit more of the Memphis stuff that he did in that respect because of what DJ offers there. Uh, and I think you're going to see a, a lot of, you know, traditional Mike Norvell offense in this respect. Uh, you know, your RPO type stuff downfield with, uh, with some glance routes and, and, and some go routes, uh, some seams and that sort of thing built off of some, some running game wide receiver screen stuff, of course, baked into your, into your uh, tagged RPOs and then, uh, you know, play action, and, you know, attacking defenses downfield. If you're going to load up against the run, then attack it downfield with the big arm. So in that respect, DJ is a lot of what Mike Norvell likes to have in a quarterback. A little bit more limited in terms of his down-to-down accuracy over, you know, the course of his career than what you'd like to see. But He's a guy that that I think you can actually work with and, and tighten up certain things with him. I mean, you're not going to shorten his release exactly. I mean, I, I don't think that's actually necessary to get him more accurate. Uh, just improving the way the ball comes off his hand in terms of extension would, would probably bring that uh, accuracy rate down just a little bit or that inaccuracy rate down just a little bit. Uh, but I think you can win with this guy. I think you can be really, really good. So... Yeah, but the first two transfers that Florida State has landed are really, really needed, very, very good transfers for uh, for what they want to do and for their system with Marvin Jones and with uh, with DJ. And then the other thing that that I think is worth mentioning on this and getting back to the thing the thing that I was talking about with the first part of this show is DJ also I think will be ready more than willing to join a revenge tour. <laughs> you think about how DJ basically was run out of Clemson and scapegoated as the problem, the reason that Clemson fell off his two years as a starter. And then all of a sudden, this year, they they got to see how life was with Cade Klubnik, who was hailed as the savior, and it became apparent that DJ was not the problem. Now, 
I maintain, and I said a lot about DJ Uyunglele on this program when he was at Clemson, and I talked about him as a significant limitation for them in their offense because I, I thought they had. I thought he was a poor fit for their offense from the time he got there. I said that when he was a true freshman. I said that when he was a sophomore, and I said it when he was a junior that I couldn't understand why he went to Clemson because I thought he was a bad fit for what they did, and also. I thought he was a more raw prospect as a quarterback than what they'd normally gotten. I mean, you look at Deshaun and, and the Elf, and those are guys that were ready-made. You can't screw those guys up type players when they got to college. And DJ was not that. He was a guy that needed some coaching. And frankly, I, I got to see Streeter and, and the Clemson coaching staff at, of that era in practice. And I watched them work with quarterbacks, and I was never impressed. And I thought that DJ was a was a poor fit there. He was not going to develop. They didn't do a good job of developing their quarterbacks. Their quarterbacks, you know, Deshaun came in as a freshman and he was who he was. And the Elf came in as a freshman and he was who he was. And they were the same player when they when they left as they were when they got there. And I thought DJ actually got worse at Clemson over his time there. They they the kind of things that they asked him to do, the things that they asked him to do in practice weren't going to help him. They were not going to develop him. And it drives me crazy, by the way, when I see college coaches making six figures doing drills with guys that are actually going to actively make them worse. Uh, it just oh, it just drives me crazy. But anyway, uh, that's what I saw. I talked about it on this program then and felt like if you know DJ got to a program that actually fit his his skills and with somebody that could actually develop him, he could be a good player. I just think didn't think he was a good fit for for Clemson, but he got blamed by a lot of the the the, the fan base. He essentially got scapegoated by Dabo, and you're going to tell me that that guy is going to be is going to isn't going to feel some sort of way about that coming into this season, going into the ACC schedule, and feeling like you know what, let's uh let's stick it to him a little bit. Yeah, you know what? If I'm him, I'm think I'm joining this revenge tour. And like I said earlier, if I'm Mike Norvell, I'm absolutely all spring, all summer, and all fall, I am leaning into the disrespect angle. And I'm saying, look, we are all we have. All we have is all we need. And we, on the inside, are the only ones who really understand what this is all about. Look at how disrespected we are on the outside. Let's go prove it. Let's work every day. And I've talked I talked on the first part about how hard I think it's going to be for Norvell to sort of recapture some of that in terms of getting that team motivated again. But I do think if you leverage that just right, especially now with with a quarterback who can who's a veteran guy who can come in and kind of lead a revenge tour, I think that's what you do. You lean into that. Normally you do not want your motivation to be external. But sometimes just a little pointing to the external can help. Sometimes that's the thing to do. And I think this year is that's the thing to do is it, make it an us against the world. Make it a nobody believes in us. Look at that last year. Look how they did us wrong. Let's go out and demonstrate who we are as a program. Let's go out and show everybody. And, you know, look, look at what you did to us now. You made us into the villains. So here we are. Revenge tour time. Nobody believed in us. Nobody believes in us still. 
stick it to him. I think that's what you what you preach. I think you've got the quarterback who can fit with that and and you know attitudinally is it, it makes sense for him to come in and do that. Now it's just a matter of of continuing to add a few additional players that that they need. And I do think there are some some gaps on this roster that that do need to be filled. I mean, if I'm looking at it, I think they need to add at least one wide receiver, especially a guy who can really run. Uh, there are a couple couple possibilities there. You know, the uh, one transfer from LSU who is very intriguing to me on that respect. In that respect, uh, I think they need to add at least one quality offensive lineman, if not two. So you're looking at you know two or three players there on the offensive side. If you can add a, a top-level running back, you do it. If you don't, you roll with the guys you got. You feel okay there. Uh, but, you know, that's three guys. Then you add another. I think they need to add at least one more edge, if not two. I think you target two more edges in, in, in the portal. You need to add one more defensive tackle and two backers. And then, you know, probably one defensive back. So... I think that's let's see two edges, one defensive tackle and two two backers. That's what five guys and then one one uh one defensive back, that's six. So I think you're adding somewhere around between 7 and 9 more more guys from the portal here. And that means a few other guys that are currently on the roster are probably going to you're going to have to shed a few a few more guys. But I, I think that's where you are. I think you've got to add some of those bodies. And I think you, in order to be competitive where they want to be next year, they're going to have to do that. Now, I think there's going to be some really good options. There already are some good options on campus as I record this. But it's going to be interesting to see who they plug in and, and, and manage to get there. You know, you, you add a top shelf offensive lineman or two. You add a, a, a speed receiver you add two good edges, a defensive tackle, and a couple backers, and and all of a sudden this team is is reloaded and ready to go. But they're going to need to fill a few of those gaps, a few of those holes. Was not surprised at all, by the way, to see Gilbert Edmond depart. Uh, he had a really, really rough outing in the Orange Bowl, and he needed that to be – that was sort of a job, uh, uh, job application for him or an audition for him. Uh, he was not expected to be a starter at that spot anyway, but he showed, I think, in that game that – He's really just, he's not, not in position to be a viable, reliable depth guy. So it's time for, you know, it was time for him to, to move, to find an, a, a better place. Cause they're going to, they're going to be better at, they're going to need to be better at their number four edge player than what he, what he brought to the table. Uh, so that is what it is. They're going to have, going to have to bring in a, a replacement for him. That's better than he, than he was. Uh, I think that was a bit of a misevaluation on their part. They haven't had very many of them, but that was one of them. All right, well, gone for now at just under 39 minutes. Got to go ahead and uh, wrap here, but uh, still a lot more to discuss. I've got a ton of things to do. I've still got to work my way through the film of the of the uh, early signees and uh, of the portal guys. I'm going to go back through and do some film sessions on the Orange Bowl, looking at some of the uh, the young guys there, going to look at uh, at some stuff, break some stuff down from the Louisville game and all of that when I can actually stomach it. Uh and then do some DJ Uyunglele uh, evaluation as well. So a lot of stuff here 
through the rest of the spring. I mean, all of these things are, you know, off season projects, so they'll come when they come, but, uh, yeah, a lot to do. We'll get to, uh, those various things as I'm able, but, uh, until then, as always, thanks for listening. This has been unconquered with doc staples. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>